in that season so that while you're praying for things and anticipating them, you can recognize them when they come. Uh, it's so good to recognize when God's word comes to pass, even in what we call small things. You know, there are small indicators of God's word uh, bring, being real and it coming to pass in extraordinary ways. And so whenever we see a, a manifestation of something that we're believing God for, it's good to take note of that because the Bible says the testing of your faith uh, works patience. And, and patience gives experience. Experience gives hope. And so hope keeps you in a place where you can always anticipate and expect good things from God. And so it's a good thing to let your your um, whole spirit man experience what God is doing and uh, always stay in, you know, stay up on what you're doing. You know, don't let the blessings of God just dip in and out of your life and you don't understand how they happened or, you know, you can't get them to be continual in your life. Uh, and you understand the season of life that you're in in God, the spiritual season that you're in and uh, what to expect, uh, you know, in that season. I know we've we've talked a lot about that and heard a lot about it you know it's a new season we even sing songs about it but you know specifically what can you expect god to do we need to be able to do that as spirit-filled people god lives inside you he wants to keep you informed of what's going on so you won't miss your day of visitation you won't miss what god's doing and you won't you will always be able to reap the benefit of it and understand what god is doing one of the things that I know that this, when this harvest season, there is a harvest of souls as well. Amen. And I think it's good to keep those feelers out for the harvest of souls that God is bringing. He will even bring people to you that he is wanting to reveal himself to uh, in a mighty way. And so that's all part of this Amos 9.13 blessing. That it's one blessing on top of another, on top of another. I mean, before you turn around, <clears throat> there's more to harvest in God. And so it's good to, to keep yourself aware of that. And, and um, you know, quit looking for so much carnal stuff all the time. You know, that's the Bible says when I was a child, what? I spoke as a child. I, you know, acted as a child. But when I became a man or grown up. What did you do? You put away childish things. So your maturity is not so much in what you pick up. It's in what you put away. Amen. See, those who are grown spiritually and naturally can put away certain things and not miss them. And so we're to put away childish things when we mature in God and, and start understanding as an adult would the things of God's spirit. Um, I, I can think of people who feel like they were robbed of certain things in their childhood and they keep trying to retrieve them. Well, the Bible says put them away. And if they were taken away from you, it's a lot easier than to have them put them away yourself sometimes. You know, God just saved you the trouble of having to part with something that you didn't want to part with or might have been difficult for you to part with. So God has his purpose in everything that goes on in our lives. And, and we should appreciate our lives. And we should thank God for it and anticipate a good tomorrow. Amen. Anticipate a good this afternoon. Anticipate a good today. 
so that we can be blessed of God and know that we are blessed. So on page 55, we're starting the pace of grace. And he's talking about uh, Second Kings. And in Second Kings, I think it's chapter... Was this chapter six, where he's talking about the Amos uh, Elisha, the prophet, being kind of like in an Amos nine thirteen season, and you need to understand that the one of the reasons for the prophet's anointing is so that we can have command of time. See, there's a command of time in that uh, anointing, so that the Bible says God will do nothing except He reveal the secret to His servants, the prophets. So when a, a season changes, there has to come a command of time. You all know that prophecy, uh, when it's foretelling, it has an element of a future provision on it, but also there is a now manifestation of it. And so there's a, a, a command of time in prophecy. There's a sense that uh, where something will manifest quickly, there's a sense of when something is uh, for an intermediate time, and there's a sense of when something is off in the future. So really, prophecy brings uh, everything into its time element. It brings it into the realm where time is important, and it sets it in its proper order in time. It sets it in its proper place in time. And so uh, it, the other thing, too, is that the prophet's anointing can command the elements and override time and override space and override gravity and override the natural realm. So there's a lot of, uh, there must be a lot of respect for the word in that and a lot of respect for God in that. You know, prophets can't get real anxious about things. You know, and, and, you know, people, prophets, you know, when they walk with God, they'll get accused of, you know, being uh, mean, cold, unfeeling. and But they're trying to feel in the spirit. You know, you can stay emotional if you want to, but somebody's got to get out there with God and set things in order so we don't run haywire. God forbid we be subject to whims and emotions, you know, and, and only, you know. Well, now, we enjoy stuff, but enjoy it in a different way, totally. You know, once you understand the importance of how to discipline yourself to the spirit. And that's not trying to put anybody up and put anybody down. Don't ever think of it that way. But there are certain things you're called to and certain things you're not called to. And so we all have to walk in our calling. Prophets wish other people would be more spiritual. <laughs> understand this better. And other people think prophets should be less so. You know, so... We have that thing where we don't meet and agree sometimes, but we can all agree for God's will and appreciate God's will and how we're all called to do it. And nobody does these things perfectly. I struggle to stay with God just like you do, you know, and so we, we're all trying to do the same thing. So let's give each other, cut each other a little slack, respect each other a little bit, let, you know, let prophets go off, you know with their mantle flung around their shoulder in a very dramatic fashion off to the cave. I go, you know, and do our thing. Leave me alone. Do, do the thing God wants me to do. And so we all have to give each other uh, grace of space and, and uh, allow each other to do the things that God's called us to do. Amen. 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 So it says an amazing story is nestled in the pages of the sixth chapter of Second Kings. It reveals what the, the author calls the miraculous pace of grace. 
that comes with God's intervention. In the throes of a crippling famine, when conditions just couldn't get any worse, deliverance came with only a day's notice. With the deliverance came sudden wealth and provision that revived a nation and set the course for their prosperous future. The entire chapter speaks of accelerated provision and favor and merits our study and consideration. And see, I've never seen that in that chapter before. I don't know about you, but I've read it many times and just never related it to the Amos 9:13 season. But that was a, a place in time where God poured that dimension of, of his spirit out on a nation and they began to see miracles happen and things reversed overnight. And he says, <clears throat> and Second Kings 6 actually contains three stories. Each story, standing alone and separate, is a powerful account of God's power. However, when you link them together, they crescendo into one of those Amos 9.13 types of make-your-head-swim miracles. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So the first one is a swimming axe head. And this chapter opens with the account of the young sons of prophets who had determined their dwelling and learning facilities needed to be enlarged. So they're either uh, getting comfortable, you know, where they are. And this is the other thing about the Amos 9:13 season. Because it brings greater dimension of blessing, it may interrupt your comfort zone in your blessing. It's not always going to interrupt trouble. Sometimes it will interrupt something that you God has given you and you want to hold on to it. And so it will, it will uproot some things that you think didn't really need to be disturbed. You know, you didn't think it was broken and God comes in wanting to fix it. Amen. Or you thought it might be fixed another way. You know, the same old way you've always fixed it, which... To be honest, me and you know it never got fixed, now did it? We all got our little honeydew list where we working on ourselves, amen. And God says, okay, it's time. You know, let's just do this and get this over with. Let me pull that tooth. Huh? I might shoot you with a little Novocaine, but it ain't going to be much. Huh? Because we're going to walk you through this thing. And I'll be there for you to lean on. I'm going to be your comfort. You don't need anything but to obey my will and let me do this. And so he says, the young sons of the prophets who determined their dwelling and learning facilities needed to be enlarged. And that's scriptural, to enlarge the border of your tent. And, and the Bible tells you to do that. You decide the size of your dwelling place. You decide the size of your property you enlarge it you let your faith speak to you what it is that, that you're going to what's going to be comfortable for your surroundings and not not only comfortable for you but for the vision that god has put before you some people expand too large god has not given them that larger vision then some people are very conservative and want to stick with what looks like enough in the natural. And so God has to make adjustments to their vision. So always understand that God will make adjustments to your vision. He will enlarge it or he will diminish it according to what his vision is for your life. But he'll give you a good sense of what's needed. He'll give you a good sense of what to do.
and and how to do it and how to uh make it it glorious you understand what i'm saying that's what he wants he wants a dwelling place for his glory more than anything else and and we have to get accustomed to that you know god just coming in and invading your space and invading your want to and invading your how to and invading your your what you want you know he'll invade that and he'll bring something new into your midst and into your surroundings something you never thought or never considered that that it would be for you and so we we have to understand that so they want their 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 tent enlarged and one of them borrowed an axe from somebody now this is pretty nervy you're going to do all this building you're going to you don't even have no supplies and no implements but this is how uh, people young in the faith develop their faith they develop on somebody else's materials you're like your children they're adults now they've always lived off your prayers and it seems they still living off of them come on now somebody need to drop junior you know moms are good at this they're scared of dropping the baby and once you drop him you realize he bounced pretty good and <laughs> uh, he screamed for about 30 minutes scared you to death but he got over it and you went in there and looked to see if he was breathing when he took that nap and didn't turn colors on you and you ain't tell a soul Every now and then he does something flaky and you wonder if it's from that time I dropped him on his head. Nobody know but you and the Lord. Amen. 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 Praise God. So he borrowed, they borrowed an axe and they were busy chopping at a tree when the cutting blade became dislodged from the handle and fell into a small pond near the work site now wouldn't you know god would have that pond sitting right there and then with the borrowed axe head so their worst fears have come to pass something happened to something that didn't belong to them somebody probably been telling them all along go buy your own stuff it's the last time i'm gonna let you borrow that i ain't lending it to you so they panic when they see that it's not right now i didn't realize but uh, i think it was uh uh um uh, pastor sexton explained to us that the handle should have been soaked overnight so that the wood would swell and it would hold the axe head onto the handle so somebody didn't take care of it even overnight so here's some rookies out here trying to build amen they're rookies from beginning to end no wonder they don't own nothing they don't take care of nothing And because the axe head was made of iron, it sank to the bottom. He says, now I have great admiration for the young man for what he did. However, I applaud him most for what he didn't do. Did not do. He did not merely continue to go through the motions. (laughs) He, He understood that to keep striking the bark of the tree with the blunt end of the stick was nothing more than an exercise in futility. It was best to stop and deal with the problem by running to his spiritual authority, Elisha, 
and from him request help, helpful intervention. What powerful lessons and parallels are contained in this young preacher's response? How have you reached, reacted in the past upon discovering your cutting edge was missing? When the prayer closet was no longer compelling? When the praise became a chore? What did you do, Pastor, when preaching became a duty and preparation became nothing but cumbersome? Too many just keep chopping away with the blunt end of the proverbial stick with no effectiveness whatsoever. Often some have mistakenly thought that singing faster songs, jumping higher, and shouting louder will get the job done just the same. Amen. But I'm reminded of what Paul wrote to the Galatians. Are you so foolish having begun in the spirit? Are you now made perfect by the flesh? Well, you know, at least this young man knew it was futile. Some people stay in the flesh and don't even know they're fooling themselves and trying to fool everybody else. So it's a blessing to know when you've lost it. He says the best solution for lost effectiveness is to quit wasting precious time and energy with fleshly exertions and run and yield to a higher authority than you to plead for help. Amen. See, this is the downfall of ministries that have reached a certain level of prominence as far as the world is concerned. You know, you see it all the time. And they wind up with a, a, a mega church full of empty seats eventually because they just kind of level out and peter out and don't know how to go to God and get the next thing for the next level. Many churches that led the last move of God don't go on to the next one because they want to hold on to God like they got him in a bundle somewhere and won't let God out. You know, it, it, you, saw, you saw it with the word of faith. Now, we've lived through that, through the word of faith teaching and that move of the spirit refused to give way to the prophetic. They just locked the doors to the prophets of God and would not let prophets of God. You'll see them now. They're still trying to exert on the confession and the name it and claim it and the this and the that instead of going into the realm of the supernatural to pull the word of the Lord for the next thing to do. They just refuse to do it. And so you see a lot of them just barely living an existence at the level. Now, some people are called to teach and to teach every generation the same truth. And that's different than the ones that they teach and release and, and to live out what they've learned and to grab on to more learning as they go. And so if you're reluctant to grab on to more learning as you go, you're not going to fare very well uh, in God's kingdom because God has more things to reveal. Very often people don't think that the way God is doing it is going to work. It's the the biggest problem with most people especially people of prominence they feel that you'll see it in people now there are people who fight uh praying in tongues because they they grew up in a denomination that always fought it well think how long ago that was the the new revelation what they carry and how many more generations and how many more revelations have been released since then that they just refuse to grab onto. And so it's it's very, very compelling for us when we, we see that we've come. Just be honest with yourself. God, I ain't got it. 
this ain't cutting it. I don't know what I need, but I know I don't have it. And I just need to come to you and get what I need for the next thing that's coming along. Amen. And we don't try to be the it people in the earth. We're, we're struggling like everybody else to find where God wants us to be. But at least we're hungry for the right thing. You know, so you're hungry for the right thing. So we run to our higher authority and plead for help. You know, with, with some people, I've had calls this week from people that I hadn't heard from to ask for prayer in a long time. You know, many people, times people get around you and they think they size you up and they think they know who you are spiritually speaking. And, and they don't really understand how to relate to people the right way and how to know when you've made a divine connection the way God wants you to make it. See, we don't have just divine appointments. We make divine connections. And so we have to connect with those people that we meet with in the proper way, spiritually speaking. And so we, we really have to allow God to develop the relationship. Uh, there's a person that I've, I've uh, told I wanted to meet in person. I know him from Facebook. And, and I told him, I said, well, I'm in your city once a month and we'll get together. But God hasn't released me to go that next you know, and they say, I'm looking forward to it and I'll see you, you know, but, you know, still, you have to do these things in God's timing. Now, you know, I, I could feel embarrassed and wonder if she thinks I'm putting her off or, you know, something like that. But it has to be right when God says, and it'll be the right connection. It'll be for the right reason. You know, I don't just meet people for lunch, you know, to eat. <laughs> I can eat with a lot of people on the head. I could eat with everybody, everybody, pick up a plate, you know what I'm saying? But but there's uh, there's got to be kingdom purpose in everything, you know, or we're wasting our time. Amen. So it says we're to yield, for the, yield to the higher authority than you to plead for help. When the young man found Elisha, he was confronted with a simple question. I see people hate this. This is why they don't want to go to. <laughs> to the higher authority and they don't want to go to prophets for help because prophets aren't going to feel sorry for you and just you know hand you whatever Amen. you know we usually try to get you to work for something Amen. because that's the best way to get it is to get it for yourself yeah. Yeah. Huh? that's why that's why in families you have a father and a mother yeah. amen Mothers are good at nurturing, but fathers are good at putting you to work and making you work for stuff. Because they know one day they're not going to be there and you can't whimper and whine your way into everything in life. You're going to have to learn how to stand on your own two feet. And so this is this is what God wants to do. That's what he does through the prophet's office is help you to understand how to get into those doors of revelation for yourself and experience these things yourself so that hopefully you will carry them. You'll be the next carrier of this revelation and this knowledge and you'll be able to impart it to somebody else. Amen. Impartation is made through the doing of it. God's not going to impart anything to you just sitting there waiting for it to drop on you. How many of you have, have prayed for somebody or laid hands on somebody and was most shocked when God showed up and did something 
And you said to yourself, this never happened before. No, because you never lifted your hand to help somebody before. See, there's an element of faith there that cannot be denied. And God's not going to override his laws and his will to make it easy for you to be anointed. You know, the anointing comes for the work of the ministry. It doesn't come for you to feel God and let God, you know, coax you and baby you out there to do something. And he's got to reassure you before you get out there. No, he just puts you out there. And you find that grace and that anointing to roll into that wave to ride on into the realm of glory. And you do what God tells you to do, your best effort. It's never perfect. It's never going to be. It's going to be you. Amen. And me. Being uniquely us and needing God's help tremendously. And that's when faith will work. He says, when the young man found Elisha, he was confronted with a simple question. Yet in case where this question was a profound truth. The probing question was, where did it fall? Where did it fall? So really, this young man is going to Elisha either for some money, a new axe head, or something, but he's certainly not going there for him to retrieve the one that's lost. Now think about it. If that was you and something you had fell in the river somewhere, you'd be screaming and crying and say, Well, I don't know where I'm gonna get the money to buy another one from. God doesn't want us running out buying other ones, He wants us to retrieve that which was lost. He didn't throw you out and buy another one to replace you. He went and retrieved you because you were lost. Just saying. The profound truth was this. You'll find it where you lost it. You'll find it where you lost it. People, you know, Christians sometimes think their current spouse is a hindrance to them. And they go look for something else. And divorce somebody, go find something else, and wind up working three times as hard. You'll find it where you lost it. What they're looking for in the new person is not there. And that's why they work so hard to find it. Because what they're looking for is where they lost it. With that first love. You ask some people who have a second marriage. They say, if I had known it was going to be this much trouble trying to keep a marriage together, I would have stayed with the first. Huh? the truth because what they're trying to retrieve is something they'll never get from somebody else you can only get that one the only thing you can do is repent and ask God to give you a clean slate and recognize your mistake 
recognize your error and say, God, please help me not to make this over again. And most people do wind up making the same mistakes over again. They get that deja vu, you know, like, I think I'm in the first one again. Huh? I'm in the first, I'm in the second, I'm in the first. Well, so you find out it's cheaper to keep her, it's cheaper to keep him. Less stress. Be blessed. <laughs> right. I guess. So you'll find it where you lost it. That's why God demands reconciliation and forgiveness. Because he's hoping people wake up to the fact that they find it where they lost it. At some point, one has to be confronted with the question of spiritual inventory. What were you doing when you noticed something was missing in your life? Were your habits hindering your productivity? Was the company you were keeping or possibly the entertainment to which you were giving yourself displeasing the Lord? Now, you know, Church of God people going to get you on that one. Amen. Because they, they know that the world is a big distraction. You know, they're raised in that atmosphere. The world is a distraction. He says, <clears throat> what have you learned? Oh, have you learned how to preach past the conviction and maneuver your way around the spiritual alarm your heart was experiencing? Gone is the exhilarating thrill of it all, and the only thing you have left is the jarring frustration of hitting at your target with the blunt end of old songs and sermons. Yeah. It says, don't take my word alone, just ask Samson. He still looked like a strong man. All the signs were still there. Only when he awakened from the compromising relationship with Delilah did he realize his strength had come from a higher and holier source than his lifestyle could accommodate. Samson had a host of, and a host of others would tell you the only answer is to stop. Please stop. Don't waste any more time. Run to the Lord and cry for help. Amen. Don't try to manufacture your own deliverance or your own next move of God. There are so many people out there manufacturing moves of God because they're foolish enough to think they can possess it. You see it in all of their attitudes. God told me he's going to use this city, this church, this, this. He ain't told you nothing. He wouldn't dare make you a promise like that. Huh? He'll use whosoever. The Bible is still true. It's whosoever will, he will use whosoever yields. He will use whosoever stays faithful until the end. Many, many times people who in churches that are involved in the move of God don't even recognize what's going on. You understand what I'm saying? It's just business as usual to them. Uh, until somebody from the outside comes and peeks in and lets them know nobody else is doing this but you. You understand? What nobody else has an edge on these things but you, you know. And so in, in stay humble. Stay in the place where God puts you because it will lift, you know, suddenly with pride. 
So it says, once Elisha and the apprentice prophet returned to the work site, the older prophet tossed a stick into the water and the iron axe head surfaced. So the stick always represents the cross, the tree, the branch, offspring, root, and the, the son of Jesse and the offspring of Jesse. It says, what a miracle to consider. The heavy iron blade suddenly became buoyant and floated near where the two prophets were standing. Reaching down into the water. Now why didn't God let it just float up into their hands? It was already floating. Listen, it's, it's already going against gravity floating up out of the water. What would it be for God to make it float over into the air and plop over onto the the shore would be nothing for God to do that except he would be negating the law of faith there has to be some risk and some labor on our part there has to be some reaching toward what God has amen like Paul said I press toward the mark there's a goal that our faith has to press toward and establish that there's there has to be a little risk on our part in order for us to receive what God has for us. It just cannot be handed over into your lap. And so at surface, what a miracle to consider. And he says, the heavy iron blade suddenly became buoyant and floated near where the two prophets were standing. Reaching down into the water, they retrieved the axe head, reattached it to the handle, and finished the job of cutting down the tree. Your loss of effectiveness and powerful living need not be permanent. You still have a future. You know, there's some things that that people have never been consistent in. And God still wants to use you. Huh? There's some people in this ministry that never prayed their prayers. You, You know, some of you are excited to pray your prayers during the week with a prayer partner. Some people don't do it. They just don't ever do it. And it doesn't bug them any that they don't pray with their prayer partner. And they think they're living the life God wants them to live. But they're not. And see, as long as the devil can keep that revelation hidden from you, if he can keep the treasures of total obedience hidden from you, you'll think you're living in the maximum God has for you, even though you don't like it. Even though you struggle and you strain and you stress yourself, you still, you can convince yourself if you want to that you are living the best life God has for you. But you know and God knows you're lying to yourself. But see, you don't have enough faith in God to do it consistently long enough. See, I lived like that when I was first saved. I said, well, I'm going to do this long enough for God to bless me and then I'm going to go back to And then one day I realized how foolish I was saying that. Go back to what? You already told him you don't want that life anymore. Why are you just doing this? Why are you being an eye servant? Doing it long enough to feel like you're doing something right and then abandon doing it because you don't have any confidence in God. We don't even know how to live by faith, most of us. So quit faking it. And start being honest at least between yourself and God. You know, at least let God know you know you're faking it. And you're not doing what's right. And you're not experiencing the blessings of God. You know, everybody gets blessed all around you and you don't understand why you keep starting over again. 
I'm just being honest with y'all. I, you know, it, it's, it's time to quit trying to pretend with each other that these things are okay with God. Why is it everybody else has to pray and you don't have to? Huh? And you think you're living in the blessings of God like everybody else? Quit playing with yourself. Huh? Just stop it. It's time to stop. And if you're going to be genuine, be genuine. If you're going to be hypocrite, just walk around, put a sign, get you a new t-shirt. I am a hypocrite. Huh? Pray for me. I need your help or something. But quit trying to fake it. Quit trying to pretend like you're doing what you're supposed to do in God because you're not doing it. And, and the fruit in your life proves it. Yeah, proves it out. Huh? Your children will call you a faker. You know, when they start getting hip to your, your antics, you know, it's really time to stop. Been time to stop already. But your kids are so past you in the things of God. While you're still trying to fool everybody into thinking you don't need see this this is the deception of the devil. He makes you think that, that somehow you're so different in your walk with God, these poor little peons that don't know God as well as you do have to do all the praying. And you don't have to you live on a different level. Yeah, it's called a pit. I got your different level. Uh, I got you a different level. <laughs> it's like the choir that walks off out of the sanctuary when their song is over and they never listen to the word. Huh? And they're walking in deception. That's why they got gay people leading the choir and everybody loves it. And, you know, you don't tell on me, I won't tell on you. Huh? It's the truth. It's called spiritual blackmail and extortion. You're just blackmailing each other. You don't tell on me, I won't tell on you. <laughs> so your loss of effective and powerful living need not be permanent. You still have a future. Hypocrite, you still have a future. Amen. Pretender, you still have a future. <laughs> a lot of times people get ticked off with God about something they thought he was. When they, you were a baby, childish Christian, you thought God was going to do something big for you. And you're still mad at him about it and you won't let anybody. So you, you assert yourself by not praying. I'm not going to pray. God ain't going to do nothing for me. I'm not going to pray. And you're right. You're prophesying your own negative effect because he ain't going to do nothing for you if you don't pray. There's something that can be thrown into the depths of your circumstances that can give you buoyancy to your anointing. When is the last time you pitched the cross into the depths of your problem? Just fell on your face before God and say, God, you know what? I'm a hypocrite. I feel like a failure most of the time. I feel like a loser. I can't get it together. I see other people around me. At least they're joyful. They may not have everything materially that they want, but at least they have joy and they can hold their head up. Just help me, Lord. Huh? Help me. That's pitching the cross into the depths of your problem. Getting God's help for a change. You know, coming up with something that that will will uh, sustain you and will cut through uh, the trouble and the problems that you've created for yourself. Cut through the weeds in your garden. 
you know, cut through the, the, the thickness, the thick brushes of problems in your life that you can't seem to, to solve on your own. You'll never be able to solve them on your own. God didn't create you to solve them on your own. He created you to depend on him. And the faster you start depending upon God and, and being like all the rest of them suckers you think are just wasting their time praying regularly, you know, all the rest of them idiots. And then people who ain't, ain't as cool as you are and don't know as much as you do about God. You know. No, anybody can live in that realm of God's going to do it for me anyway, and he never does it. And you know he doesn't do it. You try to pretend like you're believing he will. You know, when you're in disobedience, your faith doesn't even work. You're just pretending to be in faith. So when is the last time you pitched the cross into the depths of your problem? You really fell on your face before God and say, God, please help me. I'm a hot mess. I'm a wreck. Huh? We've all been there. We all go there, you know, but we, you know, I thank God that God showed me that's where my help is. And I don't, I don't live there and, and try to pretend like it's not real. You understand that it's not a burden. It is a problem. And he says that old piece of wood has been bringing things to the surface for a long time. He said, I have good news for you today. Your gift is about to resurface, and when it does, you must get a new grip on it. Amen. So they couldn't use the old wisdom with chopping down, you know, trees. I'm sure that axe handle started to get loose, and they thought they had one more swing before it came off. I'm going to say it again. Before your cutting edge dislodges, you always think you got one more swing before it's everything's revealed, before it's known that it's not secure and you don't have a secure grip on it. He says, once again, attach it to your life and complete the work the Father has given you to do. So God is not through with you. You may be through with him and you may feel like a failure. You might feel that you can't get it together. Or too much time. This is the other thing the devil tells you. It's too much time is gone. Look how long you've been doing that. You can't just pick up out of nowhere and God start blessing you again and letting you start doing this like you're supposed to. You can't start being obedient all of a sudden think you're going to get somewhere. Huh? Try it. You'll scare yourself and the devil. Huh? I remember that uh, the certain things that you, you really understand are definitive turning points in a person's testimony and I always look for those you know if 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 a person can give a testimony where where you can put it together and how God uh completed what he wanted to do uh for those people and I remember the story of um uh, uh I think Norval Hayes shared this testimony uh, about the guy in Hawaii remember he worked for the pineapple people and they had stopped using uh, he was a, a truck he had a trucking business or something where they he transported for the company well the company decided to buy their own trucks so they got rid of all the independent truck drivers and this guy uh, was trying to keep it going trying to survive but he they were his only customer and and so 
uh, he went to the church and he said he had borrowed money from everybody in his family. He'd been borrowing money to pay bills and to buy groceries. I mean, they were flat broke and no income. And and he said that the, this guy um, was in a church and Norval had gone to the church recently and and heard the guy's testimony but he remembered when he prayed for him some while back and this guy was about to had lost his business had no business coming in and norval hayes gave him uh the scripture i think it's psalms i think it's 112 or 117 if you will obey and serve the lord you'll spend your days and prosper your years and pleasures Wealth and riches will be in his house. The man who worships the Lord, wealth and riches. riches. I probably got two different scriptures. But the man who worships and serves God, wealth and riches will be in his house. And Norval ex- explained to this man what to do. And he said, when, before you get up, when you first get up every morning, you and your wife come into agreement and worship God. And just keep worshiping God. And so the man said that he tried it. He and his wife decided they were going to try it. And they tried it and nothing happened. He says, but when we started thinking about whether we're going to just try it, he said, we made up our minds that we were going to continue to do it no matter what happened. See, there are keys. See, some things you do because they're the right thing to do. You don't steal from people because it's the right thing to do. You don't lie and cheat and cuss people out because it's the right thing to do. So this worshiping, which we think is something you can do or don't do, they did it because it's the right thing to do. They continue to do it. And he said, he said, we had already made up our minds that we were going to continue to do it no matter what happened. And this is the sign of the mature person who has put away childish things. You do it no matter what happens. You worship God no matter what happens. You pray your prayers every week no matter what happens. See, when you become mature and put away childish things, you can make up your mind to do something because you've been instructed by God to do it and do it no matter what happens. See, I don't care what kind of fashions come in and what women preachers are wearing now or who waltzes in, you know, with a a flowing gown and, you know, tiaras and all that kind of stuff. I made up my mind a long time ago what I was going to look like in the pulpit, and I do it no matter what happens. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not here for a fashion show. I'm not here to, to cause anybody's head to turn. You know, when I waltz in and prophesy on time, I don't care about that stuff. But see, if you make up your mind and keep your mind made up, that's the hardest thing for a believer. Because we get insecure. I've been insecure about numbers and how many people and all this and all that. I'm not about to play games with people to get them in here. Because then you got to play games to keep them in here. You understand what I'm saying? So if God can't help me and direct me how to pray, how to do one thing or the other, what the next move is, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing because it's the right thing to do. And God has already schooled me on what's the right thing to do. I don't care about facelifts and looking young. I might in the future, but, you know, as long as I can fool them with the money shot. 
which God helped me with. I was, I, it was real funny. But, you know, God has a sense of humor about these things. He's not going to let me lose my mind because of a wrinkle or something. If I could stretch it and get the, the, ang- the angle right on the camera and the light right and everything right. She's here. You understand what I'm saying? And I plan not to take another picture ever. For every 20 years, 25 years is enough for me. I'll be close to 90 by the time I have to take the next one, and I don't care about that. <laughs> yeah. I don't do selfies, so amen. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> that was so funny. <laughs> when we went to, for the book signing, the guy came up. He, he was a professional photographer. <laughs> I, got, I, I told God, because Chanel had done a little selfie, I said, ooh. Makeup ain't right. The lights ain't right. Ain't no filter on the camera. Ain't nobody professional. Got the right shot. I went down my list of 15 things that had to be just right. And up walks this guy. He said, can I take your picture? And he got this big old camera. I said, God, you're too much. I said, yes. Yes. Yes again. Praise the Lord. That's funny. I mean, if you don't take yourself too seriously, he'll help you. As you get into this thing where you can't have no wrinkles and you're trying to fool people, you 20, who are you fooling? We know you've been around forever. It's like most preachers, you know, when you keep hearing a preacher say, are they still alive? When you get in that crowd, don't, you know, save your face, live money. I got news for you. You mess around, you won't be able to open your mouth. And when a preacher can't preach, they, I don't see how these people get the nerve to do that, you know. <laughs> I, was, I bought the, the, a new face cream you know it's supposed to take all this stuff away and I looked in the mirror I said oh, I think this stuff is working and then I thought I haven't used it in a couple of weeks <laughs> yeah it's working in the tube I got bunches of them sitting up there you know halfway done anyway anywho so if I was real serious, you know, neurotic about it, them twos would be used up and looking for some more. Okay, so without segue, the sixth chapter of Second Kings leaps right into a most interesting account of kingdom insight. Something similar to the spiritual gift known as the word of knowledge seems to be at work in this story. And it is the word of knowledge because the gifts of the spirit are consistent from old to new covenant. You got me? Uh, in in miracles because the holy spirit's the same he doesn't change the administration changes because the gifts go to the church and not to specific offices they're not so peculiar to specific offices under the new covenant but that peculiarity is still there to a large degree so he says here uh, the word of knowledge is at work it appears that each time the king of syria developed a strategy to battle against the people of god his plans were made known before he could initiate them at first he suspected his counselors and other trusted members of his cabinet and accused them of betrayal however when he learned elisha with his prophetic gift was responsible the king called for his arrest and imprisonment he then dispatched a large regiment of soldiers to the city of dothan to retrieve the prophet and his servant 
Can you see the enemy's use of intimidation here? Hundreds of soldiers postured against only two of the Lord's servants. Man. Now, if you're a true prophet, you'll be in a situation where everybody in the church is against you, including the pastor. You got me? Same scenario. I've been there. It's an age-old tactic Satan has employed over and over again. Early one morning, Elisha's servants stepped outside and discovered they were surrounded by Syrian soldiers. Frozen by fear, he stared at the enemy for a moment and then ran into the house to announce the dilemma to Elisha. Man. Now that's, that's pretty normal for, for servants to go to the senior person when trouble comes up. You got me? Um, armor bearers are there to bear arms to the servant. They're not to stand there and fight and sacrifice their lives for you. You understand what I'm saying? There's something not right there. That would imply that their power is superior to the person that they're protecting. You know what I mean? That person should be able to protect both you and them. Or how would you ever get anybody to take that job? Come on now. So he says the prophet refused to be gripped by the servant's panic. See, people who really understand their role understand that they're not there to manipulate you over into their way of looking at the problem. Huh? If the if the prophet is nervous, he ain't gonna tell you. He ain't gonna tell the servant. I mean, what good is that gonna do? But you know, a prophet that knows God isn't moved because, and they may not have the answer right up there, but they know they can get it. Same thing. He simply prayed for God to open the eyes of the servant so he might have the full revelation that had been veiled behind fact and reality. You see, the fact of the matter emphatically announced, you are surrounded. The revelation behind the fact was this. No, devil, you surround it. Those who are with us (laughs) are more than those who are with them. Amen. So that's the real revelation behind it. While that army had encompassed the prophet, there was another army encompassing the army. So the devil's always surrounded. You have to believe that, folks. Or the devil will chase you out of every every blessing that God has for you. You'll be like uh, um, Gideon was. You know, the, <laughs> the Midianites would let them... Plant, plant crops, get to harvest time, and then chase them off. And then destroy all the harvest. I mean, how dirty can you get? That's, how, that's the devil. You got me? That's how dirty he is. Want you to have nothing. Your problem is staying full of fear and running off every time the devil looms over you. Said so you've probably known the facts affecting your life for a long time, but have you ever considered the revelation of God's plan and purpose behind them? 
On any given day, the various bearers of fact will come in and out of your life. Doctors, lawyers, counselors, or any other number of people can load you down with the facts, but how liberating it is when the revelation of grace and provision sweep in, bringing hope for tomorrow. So here, the uh, the prophet was... Uh, um, uh, the prophet was able to let the son of the prophet or the 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 uh, student experience some things see this this accounts for a lot we can tell you everything but if you never get in a situation and experience it you will never know god and know what to do and know what god can do so god teaches us in the crucible of life you understand it's hot in there sometimes sometimes you can wish you could get out of it but god if you will stay where god places you you will see his deliverance you will see his redemption you will see his salvation you will see everything if you don't give up amen and the prophet is trying to teach his student how not to give up because if god is god and if he called you and if you're somebody to him he will come and help you you got me you got to know these things folks you can't be running around everywhere scared of everything and quitting this and quitting that and can't stick with nothing and can't tough it out you girl (laughs) huh just buy you some high heels to go with that skirt. You understand what I'm saying? Because it's time out for this stuff, you know. I mean it to be amusing, but thoughtful. Think about it. Huh? Girls can stand stronger than men under the anointing. Amen. There's no male or female in Christ. Huh? We can duke it out with the best of them. God just wants somebody who's going to believe him and act like it. You act like you believe God. Huh? God was, as God was opening the eyes of revelation for Elisha's servant, he blinded the eyes of the Syrian soldiers. In fact, Elisha prayed for him to blind their eyes. Ooh, we got to walk in love. That is love. Yeah, I'm loving me and I'm loving my little servant right now. I can love them later. There's a time and a season for every purpose under heaven. This was a time for the enemy to be blind. This wasn't the time for him to be able to see. In that instant, the enemy became subjected to God's overwhelming power. It didn't hurt Paul not one bit to be blind for three days. In fact, it helped that boy. Being blind ain't the worst thing that can happen to you. Especially if God's done it. If God did it, God can reverse it. Always remember that the enemy of your harvest can never compete with a greater purpose. That has already been established and provided in God's plan for you. He can never compete as long as you stay in the will of God. And you're willing to do what God tells you to do. And you're willing to complete the task that God set before you. The devil will never be able to override you. Never. 
because you're on your way to accomplish something for God. And he will not allow you to be deterred. That's why many times you see in some of those situations in the Bible, these little accounts that come out of nowhere. And just, you know, especially in the Old Testament, you'll see where a prophet told a younger prophet to uh, go and, and uh, um, uh, you know, go, go and give this message to so-and-so and don't be deterred. And then somebody met him along the road and said, oh, I'm a prophet too and I know so-and-so and God told me to tell you this and talked him out of it and something killed him on the spot right after that. And you think, well, that's just terrible. No, he'd already been given instruction what to do. You let somebody come and talk you out of something God's already given you to do. Cut the nonsense out. If you've already heard from God, stay with what you what you already heard. Don't be so easily manipulated. You know, you have to know that the word of God is is what's important. It's not who told you, how young you are, or somebody coming to you telling you to the chief prophet over the city, and now you got to do what I tell you to do. There is no chief prophet over the city. Huh? Because we're called, called to go into all the world. What am I going to limit myself to a city for? He says, I fully believe the Amos 9.13 season holds incredible insight for those who will focus on the harvest. Will you focus on the harvest? Through the Spirit, you will see and observe things you've never been aware of before. You will become acutely aware of harvest opportunities and as a result, you will give laser beam focus to harvest strategy and kingdom advancement. And this is what God wants. He wants a people who go work for him. You should know you're already taken care of. You should not be craving things from God still. You understand what I'm saying? Carnal things. I got to have a new car. I got to have a bigger house. I got to have a this. I got to have a that. You don't got to have a nothing. Huh? The Bible says with food and clothing, be content. You get content real good and God will start to add things. But if you keep craving, you won't get anything from God. Huh? He says here. The scales will fall from your eyes and no longer will you be diverted from fulfilling the destiny into which you were called. Everybody in here is called to divine destiny. You don't have to be in a pulpit to fulfill the destiny of God and the call of God. And I highly recommend, unless you really know that's what you're called to do, don't seek it. You got me? Because the devil will certainly accommodate you. You have so many people messed up, you have to leave town in the middle of the night. There's somebody who used to be in the ministry and they thought they had to, they would go have a church and call themselves apostle. I feel that I've heard now they're leaving town. 
packed up and moving. Left church and everything. You understand what I'm saying? That's what a false call will do to you. Oh, you know, I'm an apostle. I'm supposed to be moving around. Now the rent is due on your on your fake vision. Amen. The rent is just due on your pretend vision. So that's you can't pay the rent. So you know, people are looking for you to come up with the real thing now and you can't produce it. So you know it's time to leave town. Amen. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Amen. All right, we're gonna take our our uh